0: You know, there was never in the history of the Democratic Party ever been any luncheon, a gathering, supported the political power of women of color. That's where we are. Democracy and Color is in Philadelphia at the Democratic National Convention hosting the first ever event featuring women of color, leadership, uniting the party, and leading the progressive movement. And so this is from an event Monday of this week where we had a 400-person, just standing room only, event at the Lowe's Hotel in downtown Philadelphia. Enjoy. Do we
1: participate in a politics of cynicism, or do we participate in a politics of hope? Because when we are together, we got power, and we can make decisions.
2: I stand before you today as a candidate for the Democratic nomination for the presidency of the United
1: States of America. We want to register to become first-class citizens.
0: Today, we are honored to hear from the country's very best, and as we heard Those who are on the panel on the stage are on a trajectory. Those are some of our best and brightest voices, and I'm very, very honored uh, to have them on stage. Without further ado, please put your hands together for our honored guests, Georgia Minority House Leader, Stacey Abrams. (laughs) Ohio State Senator, Nina Turner. Nevada Assemblymember, Lucy Flores. Yeah. (laughs) Inclusive Executive Director, Alita Garcia. (laughs) San Francisco Supervisor, Jane Kim. And Arab American Chamber of Commerce of California, Raida Hamida. I just want to start by, I mean, we could read the bios of each one of these amazing women, but I'd like for each of you to take a couple of minutes and tell us two things. One, why women of color are so critical to leading the progressive movement and your work and your vision of why women of color are essential in uniting this party. Mm, Let's start with deep. Stacey. It's the challenge with having your name start
3: with A. So first, I want to say thank you to Steve Phillips. Please join me in thanking him for his work. The reason women of color are so critical, it's three things. It's math, it's mission, and it's money. Uh, The math is what Amy laid out, that we are the most powerful force in the country. We are the voters, we are the activists, and no matter where we stand, we are the center of attention when we get there.
1: Come on. It's about that. the matter.
3: Say that. But the mission is that we, more than anyone else in this nation, understand what it means to be at the bottom. Yes. Uh, because we're usually at the center holding up everything else, being crushed by what is out there. Yeah. And the challenge that we have as women of color is that too often our needs are the last needs that are served. They're the last needs that are acknowledged but we are always first to say that more has to be done.
1: Yeah.
3: And that leads to the money. The money decides where the attention goes. I, I'm a tax attorney by training. Well, yeah, you should laugh for that, because it's true.
0: <laughs>
3: I, I'm a tax attorney by training. And I will tell you that most people like to go to the Appropriations Committee meetings. I, I serve on Ways and Means and Appropriations. I'll go to Appropriations, but I never miss a Ways and Means meeting. Because how you spend your money depends on where you get your money and the reality is that our tax structure is set up to take as much money from women of color as possible knowing we have the least amount of power to go and get it back. And so when we talk about the money, when we talk about women of color, it is critical to not only the unity of this party but the future of this nation that women start to lead, that women of color start to lead because we are going to hold the jobs that pay the least but have the most taken out in taxes We are going to be the people who need the services most and are the least likely to get it and are the people they're most suspicious of when we ask, but we're the ones who are the glue for this country. And so I think the reason this conversation is so important and the reason this amazing panel is important is that women of color have to start demanding our space. That's right. We have to be willing to say out loud over and over again, especially in election years, that if you want the math to work and if you want to achieve your mission of election, you better put your money where women of color are. Yes. Come on. Yeah. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> say
1: that. Can we just go on to the next question? I think she
0: answered it. Yeah,
2: I know, yeah. she answered it
0: That's very funny. Funny. Well, let's just a couple no, a couple five, of you minutes. See? Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> St- wonderful to listen. open it up. Nina,
1: what do you think? No, I, listen, I agree with, our, with, our, with what our leader has said. You know, fierce women shake the world, baby. That's just it, bottom line. And women of color, show sure enough, shake the world. And you know, it's, it's too often that we allow ourselves to be taken for granted. And I too want to want to thank the amazing Steve Phillips and you too, Amy, because it takes a visionary and a leader. And the fact that he recognizes this, he has written about this, he embraces this, and he deliberately, him and Amy, set this up. This didn't happen by accident. So it leads me to my point that we need more folks in the places of power, whether it's elected or in boardrooms to be deliberate about not only understanding the plight or seeking to understand the plight of women of color, but if they're in power positions to do something about it. And for me, it is just really time out for the sweet nothings. And the leader has said it more, uh, more politically correct than what I'm about to say, but I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, as one of our foremothers has said, of being the mistress. When it comes to, be, to elections, we want to be the wife. We want to have the paperwork. We want to get the ring. And what that means is that we have to look out for our interests every single election cycle. It's not enough. You know, great presidents is wonderful. Having a great president is wonderful, but you have to have great members of state legislatures. Yeah. You got to have great governors and great secretaries of state. You know, all, so from the dog catcher to the presidency, we need to have people in office who not only care about getting out the vote. Sometimes I feel like it's a cattle call, and I'm just feeling like that, that where is the attention to us, our communities, and our needs before election day? And, and that is why you know even, even Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm said, all we have is our vote. And she was saying that to say that we need to be deliberate in how we use that vote and lift our voice and do not allow ourselves to be taken for granted. And then also, sisters of color, we have to look out for one another. We don't have to always agree, but we need to lift one another. And we don't do that enough. And then lastly, I am in this space because of my two parents who got married as teenagers and they divorced very young and so I grew up the majority of my life in a single-mama household. And so I know what it's like to have a mother who doesn't know how to put food on the table so she has to lie to her children about not having any food in the cabinet. I know what it's like to have a mother who has been evicted from her property, from, from our home, and so she can't tell us that so she makes up an elaborate story. I know what it's like to have a mother in her living room knowing good and well that she did not pay the electric bill. But here we are praying to God to put our lights back on. I know what it's like to be the oldest of seven children and have all seven children sleep in the same bedroom. So excuse me if at the age that I am now that I am just over. People whispering sweet nothings in our ear at election time and not being willing to do the deed to do the deed when it comes to electing us. And so in terms of the ladies that are here and the ladies that are out in the audience, and as as Mr. Phillips laid out that the new majority are people of color and progressive whites, we need to be deliberate about electing black and brown women to office, and not as an afterthought. I'm going to end it there, sister Sister lose. (laughs) <laughs> so
2: there's, there's so two things, first of all. I have done a lot of panels with these amazing women in the past, and there is one thing that all of us recognize and know. One, you don't ever want to talk after Stacey Abrams. <laughs> Stacy Stacey's the brain. Yes, That's
1: she what we is. call
2: her. Stacey is the one who lays it down, calculated in a, an outline form, <laughs> says it all to the point done. Nina, the other one, and nobody wants to go after Nina because Nina brings the fire. Nina says what's up. Nina says the truth, and then she lays it out, done. Mic drop. And then there's the rest of us. So <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to add other than I think that, you know, the perspective is absolutely what matters when it comes to diversity in politics, in representation, especially when it comes to women of color. Yeah. Because we don't have the same backgrounds. A lot of people know my bio. They know where I came from. I, my mom left my family when I was nine. I ended up on juvenile parole at 15. I talked about my choice to have an abortion at 17. I dropped out of high school at the same time. The fact that I'm a lawyer now, the fact that I was the first wow. Latina elected. to And, and these spaces that are made available to us, and let's be clear, they are being made available to us okay. because right now they are not out automatically there for us. Come on, the way they are for our white counterparts, and particularly our white male counterparts. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's be clear about the opportunity that we're being given. But the fact that I am here speaks volumes as to why we need these voices in our government because when we go to the policy table, let me tell you, we're not hearing about Nina's family, we're not hearing about Stacy's family, we're not hearing about my family, we're not hearing about the challenges and, and and the racism and the obstruction and the everything else that all of these women are facing in their own unique way. And that matters, it's the reason why we have problems that we do in this country right now with the economic inequality, with the fact that not everyone has access to healthcare, social security, college debt, you name it it's because our voices aren't there to ensure that we're pushing on those things. That's right. So that's why this matters, because it matters to have that diversity of perspective because we're not the same, but yet we need
0: policy that addresses everything in that way.
2: That's right.
0: So I will leave it there because we still- Yeah, and I, I just want to say, we got, the, we got the brains and we got the fire, but we got the guts, come and uh, on. <laughs> come on,
4: come on. That fierceness. Alita Garcia. For the first time in uh, presidential campaign history, all three Democrat presidential candidates self-reported their staff diversity data. That had yeah. never happened before. Okay. And the reason why this is important to do on the front end of campaigns is so that we can monitor growth throughout the campaign rather than get upset about it mid-campaign cycle. And so, Uh, Hillary Clinton every quarter has been releasing her staff diversity data and we're hoping that this is a trend that moves forward cycle after cycle Um, and then we moved on to the party committees so the DNC and the DCCC have now both self-reported their staff diversity data which they had never done publicly like that before previously as well Um, we're still waiting on the DSCC and y'all should ask them about that because I don't know why they haven't told us yet Um, But uh, a couple of things that I wanna say about uh, women of color in office. Um, Part of the challenge in getting more women of color in office are the people that work in politics that are not elected officials. And so what we do at Inclusive is try to diversify the industry, if you will, at large. The people who work in change making on campaigns, as staff, in organizations advocating for issues, under the theory that campaign staff end up being front office staff of these elected officials. And they're the ones that are pushing the policy priorities of those elected officials who are very busy. So it's not just important that we have the elected official that is reflective of our democracy, it's important that the staffs that work for these elected officials also come from our communities so that they can prioritize the issues that really matter to us, and that they can receive our calls from the outside as advocates from a place of warmth and welcoming. Uh, that's not the case i would say um broadly across the democratic infrastructure um we are a very uh white led uh infrastructure right now whether that's at the top of the campaigns or whether that's in your, your biggest nonprofits and if these issues are disproportionately impacting people of color, then people of color need to be at the decision making tables whether or not they're an elected official on the boards all the way down to the field organizers need to be reflective of of who we are as a people as a party. Um, So that's the work that we do on a daily basis and the the other thing I wanted to say was Nina mentioned about women of color lifting each other up. Um, I just wanted to give a plug that Georgia Minority Leader Stacey Abrams will be speaking on the main stage tonight at 6 p.m. And that everyone should tweet about it and be like, oh my gosh, I love Stacey Abrams because we gotta get her some buzz in this moment because we want her to continue to climb in Georgia. So it's really important that we, throughout this week, um, recognize the opportunities that our leaders are being put up and that we all celebrate them loudly because if we don't celebrate them, no one else will. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to Stacey rocking it
5: tonight. Yeah. That's right. here's
6: oh. mic Hi, my name is Rida Hamida. I want to first thank Steve Phillips for even um, including me on in his book, Brown is the New White, I couldn't have been here without you and Amy and the whole team. I I do want to say as a proud Palestinian Muslim,
5: Muslim
6: Muslim woman hijabi living in Orange County, (laughs) I am the OC, okay? what Orange County looks like! I'm also proud to say that I was born in Burbank, California, so I am a proud California girl. And when we say we're Palestinian, we know who we are. And knowing our history, knowing that Being oppressed is not a choice. It is so important not to minimize anyone's oppression. Obviously, we all have experienced it, uh, whether we're Latino or African American or Indian American or Native American. But coming from Orange County, I need to speak to you about women of color there, because they are the fighters, and Muslim women in particular are stronger than fear. They are the first to get up and say, I will join you in getting out the vote. One of the things that I was able to do as the Arab American chamber president in a man's world, you know, a social worker, I, I got my education from UCLA, and I never thought I would be going into advocating for business, uh, especially when the majority of the men uh, didn't really want me there, unfortunately. I didn't even ask for permission, and we got to stop asking for permission. I don't need anyone's permission to tell me that I can lead. I lead. My name itself, Raida, in Arabic, means leader. So I have to live up to that name. You call me. I'm up there. But more importantly, is that this assumption that women, that I am not speaking on behalf of Arab American and Muslim women, because every Arab American Muslim woman has a voice. Every single one of them. And contrary to the media's perception, if you know Linda Sarsour, if you know people like Dalia Mogahed, They have a powerful voice, and you cannot mess with them. So I am proud to represent Orange County and the diversity of Orange County, but women of color that in 2014, when I organized a team of amazing Muslim women, I turned out the vote because of them. They were all mothers, every single one of them. Six of them single mothers, by the way. And the only one that wasn't a female was my son, my 14-year-old son at the time. So because of them, we were able to turn out the vote for the first Vietnamese progressive youngest mayor in Garden Grove that is standing here, Mayor Baldwin. How many votes? Let me tell you, just in the three days, just the GOTV, TV, we were able to ensure afterwards that 96, and no, 96 isn't a lot, of the Muslim community members actually went out and vote, and he won by 15 votes. So it was the Muslims oh, wow. that helped him <laughs> winning. But guess what? Because of that, we keep them accountable, too. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. With the support of labor, I was able to get those lists. And one of the things I asked beforehand was, can you please give me a list of Arab American Muslim voters? And so I got a list, and literally, a post-it, to be honest with you. And it said 525. I said, no way. Not in Orange County, because I asked for Orange County. And there's 1.3 million registered voters in Orange County. So I asked if I can use my cultural lens and get into the voter file for PDI. And I started highlighting the ethnicities. People don't understand that Arab doesn't always mean Muslim. That's right. Right? That's right? And That's Muslim right. doesn't always mean Arab. Yes. There are Muslims that are even Afghans that don't speak Arabic. They speak Parstu and and Farsi. And there's Indonesians. There's Chinese Muslims. There's Malaysian Muslims. Actually, uh, the vast majority of Arabs are not even Muslim. They're Christian. And we know that. Palestinians, right, are from Bethlehem, and they're Christian. And, you know, we take ownership of Jesus, too. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, I wanted to say that it was because of my knowledge of my community, knowing who we are, being able to ask and not wait for someone to offer, right? Can I go into your file? And, you know, so someone else, they'd feel overwhelmed and they're not going to ask labor. You know, at the time I asked Julio Perez, Orange County Labor Fed, if he could allow me to do that. Uh, He was so gracious, and and because of that, we were able to help in seven different races get out the vote, and in 2016, it is gonna be the women, again, that are gonna turn out the vote, and it's gonna be, and this is my goal, for the Arab and Muslims to be the reason why our President of the United States is gonna be a
5: female. My name is Jane Kim, and I come from the city and county of San Francisco. And my panel, <laughs> thank you. Yay! And my panel talked really eloquently about why women of color should run. But let me tell you what women of color can do when they're in office. So Alita's right. It's not just about electing more women and more women of co- uh, more people of color. It's also about making sure they're at every single level, which is why my entire legislative staff are women of color. Yeah. Our straight mothers and queer mothers, and we get things done. In fact, over the last two years on the board of supervisors, we wrote the most les- legislation of any member of this board. And this all women of color group fought for and won the most affordable housing of any member of this board. In fact, last year we negotiated three unprecedented deals in a city where we are lucky to get 12% affordable housing on site. We won three deals where we got 40 percent affordable and middle income housing in our development. My team has authored the most progressive minimum wage ballot measure in the country, which passed successfully two years ago, where we are going to get to $15 an hour without tip credit or health care credit. All of our businesses will rise to $15 an hour by 2018. Our team also fought a new jail in the district that I represent because we said we don't need more prison beds. We need housing, we need mental health facilities, we need substance abuse treatment centers. But we know that jail has become the solution for all of these issues. Mm -hmm. And we know that we can do better. Our team also wrote the legislation that demanded that San Francisco Police Department have more accountability and transparency around a partnership that we didn't even know they had with the FBI to survey our Arab, Muslim, and South Asian community without any probable cause. And most recently, our office wrote a luxury tax measure where we are going to tax buildings and homes above $5 million to make community college free for all San Francisco residents. And, (laughs) and, And when this measure passes in November, San Francisco will be the first city in the nation to make community college free for all of our residents regardless of income, age, or any type of GPA prerequisite. So, I mention this because the one place I do disagree is that we don't have enough women of color who are running for office. We do need more women and more people of color to run. I'm not going to lie to you, you are not going to be embraced when you enter into the race. say that. Say that. That's the next question. question. This is my fifth time running for office in San Francisco and the party of which the convention I'm at did not endorse me in my race for state senate. I was the highest vote getter to represent the Democratic Party in my city. I have won in several races. Um, But yet, despite being outspent three to one in my primary this past June, I still was able to come in first place. But but when we won, we didn't win because we worked hard. We didn't win because of our legislative accomplishments. Um, We didn't win for all of those reasons. When you read the newspapers, we won because of my consultant who is a white male, and Ooh. because an endorsement that I got from yeah. another white male, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And now, these people are part of my team and my family, and I love them. But this is the type of experience that often we have to face when we run. Yeah. But we have always faced obstacles, and that is what it means to be a woman Winner collar Politics. We are ready to jump the extra hurdle and to face the additional obstacles to win office so we can represent and lead for our community. And when we do win, and when we do win, this is the work that we can accomplish on behalf of our cities and our communities. And I also should say that it's not just important that we elect more women and people of color. We also wanna, we also wanna win folks that have worked in our communities. And when I said I hired all women of color, actually all mothers of color in my office. And let me tell you why I did that. You all heard the phrase, if you ever want to get something done, give it to the busiest person. Well, who is busier than a mother of color, yeah. right? <laughs> but, but going back to um, what, I was saying, uh, what, wh- what I was saying earlier, um, the reason why, um, but all these women that I hired, I've known for 15 plus years. They started out as community organizers, as civil rights attorneys. And, and these are the women that I trust because I know where their values and principle lies. They're not working in my office because they're looking for the next promotion or for the office that they can run for. I know where their heart is because I saw their work for decades in the community that we all worked in. And we need to get more of these women to run, which is why I'm so excited that Latifah Simon, here from San Francisco and Oakland, (laughs) who started out as a youth organizer like me, running Center for Young Women's Development, the youngest woman to ever win the MacArthur Genius Award in this Mm -hmm. country. A woman who led the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights without a JD and then hired me out of law school, thank you, (laughs) Um, is running to represent our regional public transportation system um, on the BART board um, in in Oakland and in San Francisco and Contra Costa. And and these are the types of folks that we want running. And it is so important that we run at every single level. I started out on the Board of Education. I'm now on San Francisco City Council. I'm running for State Senate. I'm running for State Senate because Sacramento passes two to three times as many bills as Washington, D.C. And for so many of the issues that we care about, whether it's higher education, single-payer universal health care, reforming our prison industry, and our sentencing guidelines, so many of these issues are being fought at the state and local level. And so we cannot take these offices for granted. There is no office that is too small. When you are fighting for public transit rights for our communities, you need to run for the BART board when you are talking about how we can change student discipline processes, you need to run for the school board. And finally, what Leader Abrams said, which is so true, one of the most important things that elected officials do is that we help determine how we spend our budget, whether it's in our schools, our city, our state, or our country. And our budget, it is more than a series of line items and dollar signs. It is a policy statement of our values and our priorities and who we care about. So how much do we invest in our classrooms? How much do we invest in our prison industry? By the way, in the last 30 years in the state of California, our state budget has largely remained the same. Only two line items changed significantly. One, you guessed it, is our prison spending. It went up from 3% to 9% of the California state budget. Only one other line item changed over the last 30 years, and that is higher education it went down from 18 to 12% of the California state budget, exactly 6%. So when we talk about the school to prison pipeline, that is a real thing in our budget. California as a state has decided where we, what, which system, which institution we are investing in for young Californians to end up in. That is in our budget and that is why it is so important for women of color to be able to run and represent so we can help determine how we spend our money and how we invest that back into our community. Thank you. Uh,
0: So we have some time for conversation. If you had a a, a burning question, burning, (laughs) what did I say? A burning question, um, you have cards on your table and uh, lift them up and a volunteer will come uh, by. And I just wanna uh, ask first, uh, this is a free for all now. This is the free-for-all. Um, what encouragement would you give to a woman of color who wrote this card who lives in poverty and wants to use her voice to fight hunger and poverty herself? I,
6: I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna say that. I'm actually uh, going to self-disclose um, as a... You asked, you asked that question? Thank you for asking that question because I'm going to be very candid right now. I was divorced at 24 years old. And I went through food stamps, and I went through the whole Medi-Cal, healthcare, public assistance process. And I'm gonna tell you that it never stood in my way because these programs are there for us, and for people like you, and for people like me. But more than that, I actually had to go and do it all over again when I got divorced at 30 years old. It is humbling to know, as a Muslim woman, finding the stereotype that, you know, number one, to be divorced and have a child. Now he's 16 years old. I could have said, you know what? I feel sorry for myself. I'm. You know, under a lot of pressure from family to get married again and all of that. But the honesty, I used that system to get where I'm at today. Your story is going to be told one day, just like all of us have stories. And I went and I took my three-year-old to UCLA for undergrad, going through a divorce in my lap, using public assistance. So if I could do it, anybody can do it.
0: good, good. Will Hillary win Georgia? Now, we know Georgia's a purple state, and you've been working like hell to make it a a blue state. Um, It's very diverse. What's your role, what's your plan there? What do you think should happen? What should the party be doing? My sisters aren't in here, so I don't know who wrote that question, but
3: um, (laughs) first, before I I answer that, I want to, as part of the answer, yes, Georgia's going to be blue this year. It absolutely is. (laughs) Steve uses the phrase, the new American majority, and I like that better than the rising American electorate. The the electorate has risen. We're here. And we we don't need to rise anymore. We're here. The issue is, do we vote? Uh, I'm going to give you a few numbers. Georgia has an unregistered population of people of color of a little over 700,000 people. You have low propensity voter turnout, meaning that they turn out for one election, but usually not every election, topping one million. We lose elections in Georgia by less than 200,000 votes. We've already won. We just forgot to show up and claim our prize. That's the problem in Georgia. And it's because no one will invest. We are a deep south state with lots of white men in charge. And the assumption is because of the optics, we aren't viable. Not only are we viable, we have already proven it. Uh, As minority leader, when I became minority leader in 2010, we had lost every statewide election. We went through a redistricting that was the most horrific. Uh, We were drawn down to 56 out of 180 seats. I promise you, people of color are not 30% of the electorate in Georgia, but we are 61%, so we have 56 seats. In the last four years, we have clawed back and won five Republican seats, being outspent seven to 10 to one. And we win these races because we find people of color. We do, as Rita has talked about, we go out and find people of color. We find those white progressives who don't think that they should be able to speak, and we turn them out. All we need is the money to expand and scale our program. Uh, In 2014, with the help of of Steve Phillips and a a number of others, uh, I, through a nonprofit that I started, we registered in fewer than six months 86,000 people of color. That number is not not every one of those people will turn out, but the fact is, for most of the people we knock whose doors we knocked, no one had ever bothered to ask them to register, let alone ask them to vote. Uh, Stanford, this is amazing. Did this uh, very uh, discouraging, but I think a necessary study. It's called Unlisted. It talks about the fact that if you don't vote, no one comes to ask you to vote, and because no one comes to ask you to vote, you don't vote. So we have this vicious cycle, particularly in the South where no one's been asked to vote in more than a generation. Not since Bill Clinton ran, did anyone bother to come? And when they were there the last time, Democrats won everything, so they still didn't talk to people of color. Mm -hmm. We have to be the ones in charge. And so yes, we will win this year. I am part of a a coalition of folks in Georgia who are doing this work, and I want to say thank you to Alita Garcia, not only for the unsolicited shout out, which I appreciate, but (laughs) last year in 2015, we started a program called the Blue Institute, where we train operatives of color. Because the problem is, if you don't have people on the ground who know how to find the people on the ground, not just the field, but the money, the communications, the finance, if you don't do that work, then we may win in 2016, but we'll we'll lose in 18, we'll lose in 20. What we were able to do because of Inclusive and because of Jess Bird, who is one of the most amazing and indefatigable people I've ever met in my life, we were able to pull together black and brown young people who are going to transform the electorate, and we got them jobs. The reason I'm putting all of this together, oh, please clap, because they're employed now. <laughs> they're taxpayers. hundred percent. And the reason I've, I pull all of this together, Georgia is not a unique state. I mean, we are, we are, we are different in the fact that we are moving faster than other southern states. Georgia right now is 54% white, 32% African American, 9.5% Latino, and 4% Asian. We are further ahead than North Carolina was in 2008. And to, to borrow my friend Nina's, we're a cheap date. It doesn't cost that much to get us. For a fraction of what they will spend to convince somebody on the outskirts of Cleveland to vote this year, you could buy all of Georgia. And so the real issue is not one of capacity. It's one of investment, on. and it's the willingness to say that voters of color, particularly low-income, low-propensity voters of color, are worth our time. Because okay. if we do that, not only do we win in Georgia, but we start to win across the South, and the solid South that left because of civil rights will be back forever.
0: Come mm. on. So, yeah. and come on. Here, here, Here's the thing. I want to I come to you because uh, women of color, uh, more than any other group, are more likely to be primaried as Democrats, and if the state, and I'm thinking about Nevada right now, if the state party doesn't have the right, or I should ask it differently, um, how could state parties and the national party change the way that they uh, invest in order to support the growth and development, not only of the electorate, but of uh, women of color leaders? Well, and that's the thing that we
2: have to be, look, we have to have a very honest and maybe uncomfortable conversation about this because I always, I've said it a thousand times over in the past. It is, it is very easy to disagree and to call out those who you oppose. It is significantly harder yes. to call out your friends. Yes, yeah. Yeah. and But the honest conversation about where these funding decisions are happening, who are making those decisions, and where that investment is going, the honest truth is that it's not going to us. No. It's not, in my race in particular in Nevada, and I won't go into too many details, but it is totally known that a leading women's group, Emily's List, and I will say it, chose to endorse a very wealthy white woman with absolutely no record of change or of choice or haven't been elected or even active in politics or really anything in Nevada, endorsed her over me. And the official reason was given Mm. by them, written in email, was that I wasn't raising enough money. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's the honest truth. Does that mean that Emily's List hasn't done good work in the past? No, that's not what that means. They have in fact helped me in the past, many times actually since my first election, which actually made it even worse, has helped Nina in the past, is helping currently um, people on this panel, but let's be honest about those conversations and how those decisions are made and why. Mm -hmm. And so when we know that we're the cheap date and that we're going to make sure that progressive Democrats get elected, when we know that black women are one of the most loyal Democratic voters.
1: Firewall.
2: And, they're, and who we depend on, yeah. who we depend on every single on. election to win these races. But then we come back yeah. and we're not putting 1,000% of those efforts yeah. either by the party or by these organizations or by our state parties. Yeah. then it's time to say something about yeah. it. It's time to stop See. being it polite.
1: Is. Is. Yes. Yeah. Amy, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I know you want to oh, okay. <laughs> you get on to the next question. Oh, I'm Mike. Okay. I know you want to get on to the next question. But I got to weigh in on this. I so mean, <laughs> yes. I'm just feeling all types of ways about that. And that's why, you know, the fact that the collective of us are in here, we are the ones that have to hold people accountable for their action or inaction when it comes to women of color. But particularly black women, I just want to say, when I ran for Secretary of State in 2014, and I had a similar experience to Lucy, she just shouted out, which I have been one of the most pro-choice women in this nation. I mean, I introduced an erectile dysfunction bill. I ain't even going to go into that. that, that's for another another panel, but you know, and, 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 I, and, I'm, and, and I don't even come from that kind of background because my mother was an evangelist, you know, and she's probably rolling over her grave about all this that I'm doing. You know, I had to go to church eight days a week, but you know, I don't put that on on, on other people, but to be such a solidly pro-choice woman and to be told similar to what Lucy was told, that I wasn't raising enough money so they went with another woman who I love, so I'm not going to name her, we, we, we're, we're good together. Gave her money first for me and told me I had to, I had to prove myself. It is that kind of stuff that we do have to call out and we can have the courage to confront and the courage to be confronted and that doesn't mean we have to fall out about it. But right. the fact remains this, is that African American women were the largest voting block in 08 and 2012 and what in the hell do we have to show for it? Nothing. Nothing. And I wanna shout out Higher Heights for America because they deliberately... Come on, baby. Focus on black women getting black women elected and they had a study commissioned by Rutgers University you need to read it there are only two African American women in the entire United States of America elected to statewide office and sisters and brothers why that is important is that if the portals of power in terms of getting to the US Senate or getting to the presidency of the United States of America is rooted in the fact that you have to no matter who you are be a statewide office holder or be a US senator, and we can't even get Democrats, for God's sakes, to say unapologetically that we're going to make the requisite investment in black and brown women to get them where they need to be so we can be president and vice president. Vice president. So I'm over it. You know? And then we're talked down to for having a voice. You know, I just, can I just, I'm just feeling some type of way.
5: I got a letter this
1: week from a progressive, wealthy white woman, a Democrat, who chastised me for my support of Senator Bernie Sanders. Told me I didn't have integrity. Told me I wasn't the type of leader. Criticized me for being uniquely who I am. This did not come from a Republican. No. This came from a wealthy white woman donor for California. And God help me, I'm not gonna say her name, but I got the email, baby, like a whole <laughs> bunch of folks got emails. <laughs> but, emails. <laughs> but I'm just, can I purge, and, and, and I thank my sisters for just bearing with me, because I got to get this off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> the, they, the only reason why I'm saying that is because I would like to think that if I didn't agree with any of my sisters in here on some decision that they made, that I wouldn't be as hateful. That I would love them and say, we're going to see each other on the other side. And so if we, the collective, the the new majority in this country, the progressive whites and progressive people of color, we have to hold folks accountable for that kind of hateful, spiteful behavior because she is a major donor. And guess what, if Sister Turner run again, she gonna be out there talking about don't support her. Can I just say this? I'm not on the plantation. And my ancestors died so that I can have my voice. And you don't have to agree with my voice, but at least love me enough to say she has voice and she has choice, and not to try to tear me down. And if that can happen to me, and I try to do the very best I can from my heart, That's right. it can happen to any of you in this room. Right. And lastly on that point, when I was running for Secretary of State in 2014, I had a white, male consultant, meant well, but, but, but one, of my, one of my mentors used to say, Madam Leader, she used to say, it doesn't matter if you meant to kill me on purpose or by accident, dead is dead. <laughs> Sister, Sister Rob, you understand what I'm saying? The man said to me, because the parts of Elizabeth and Maline, my my finance director is in here, he said to me, he said, Senator Turner, you happen to be black. And he said, try not to draw too much attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> he did. In the southern part of Ohio, my rural white sisters and brothers, you know? And I said to myself, if okay. they not going to accept the sister, they going to know when I walk in the door. <laughs> You know, I, so I mean, problem solved. But, but, but I, this is what I said to the brother after I, I fired, her, before I fired him. I yeah. said, okay. "I don't happen to be black. This is on purpose. <laughs> right. This all, this right. is, this come is my design." Right.
0: Thank you, everyone. I really appreciate you all being here. I want you to put your hands together for Jane Kim, for Rida Hamida, for Lita Garcia, for Lucy Flores, for Nina Turner, Stacey Abrams, amazing, amazing. Get Get up, get up, get up, come on. Democracy and Color is a project of Power Pack Plus. This episode was recorded in the City of Brotherly Love Philadelphia during Democracy and Color's event, Women of Color Uniting the Party and Leading the Country. This, ladies and gentlemen, is how we rocked the Democratic National Convention. A special thanks to our panelists and guests. You can listen to future episodes on democracyandcolor.com, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you appreciate this podcast as much as we appreciate you, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter. Tell a colleague, a neighbor, or a friend to tune in for their dose of political intelligence. Thanks so much for joining us.